0: Welcome back, friends, to the Wild Isle podcast. This is a solo cast today. Um, I'm going to be going through an essay I wrote, uh, the second in the There Is No Such Thing As series, and this time we're going to be covering capitalism. Um, this is more of a, a small pet peeve I have. I hear people use the word capitalism on all, you know, all I was about to say all sides of the political spectrum, but just in any political or even uh, non-political affiliation. They use this word, and I don't think they know what they mean. And I don't think really most people who use it know what it means. So we're going to get into it, right? So there's no such thing as capitalism. Though now embraced by a variety of interest groups, from libertarian free marketeers to neoliberal charlatans, the word is at its root a caricature of economic laws and descriptive market principles it does not take much effort to unearth this reality all one must do is consider the root concept capital and notice that its borders were drawn by men with broad and shallow vision all right so before i go on to the definitions section of this uh little essay i, I want to point out something that uh seems what's the right word people don't realize how easy it is to break an idea to break a concept uh i believe nietzsche said uh it wasn't funny it's in verse about how you should test an idea by biting it to see if it breaks uh jordan peterson i think is very famous for saying the same thing and with the concept of capitalism just like with any concept all you need to do is Dig down to the, uh, let's say, other more um, fundamental concepts that it rests upon, right? Imagine if you got a tree and one of the branches is capitalism, right? And then you go back a branch where it divides into something else and you see, okay, well, there's capital behind that. What does capital refer to? Then it goes back to things like wealth and money. And then you keep going back until you go all the way down and you can very quickly find where something is uh, rotten because likely, if there's something wrong with the idea, there will be a contradiction close to its base, and that's really what this essay does. Um, As for broad and shallow vision, um, it's one of my aphorisms, you know, sometimes people get stuck in their own, let's say, uh, preconception. So they have a very general view that doesn't go very deep and they can't see past that, uh, let's say, very vague, frozen abstraction of theirs. So we'll move on to definitions. So what is capital? It depends on who you ask. Modern Western notions of capital include any goods or wealth which are in turn invested to return a profit. Uh, viz. Wealth used to produce more wealth. And by the way, if you don't know what viz means, it's like, uh, it is to say, right? Uh, Reading a bunch of Locke and he uses it incessantly. So I decided to use it here. So wealth used to produce more wealth. Modern Western notions of capital. However, if you ask a Marxist or some other form of socialist, capital is specifically currency used for the generation of further wealth and not used to acquire consumable goods viz. money used, uh sorry, money invested in business as opposed to money spent for personal use. And I took that from uh Marxist.org and they've got a whole uh basically Marxist dictionary there. So um really once we get into this we'll discover that there's not really uh a relevant difference between these two definitions. They break down in the same exact way. But I would like to take a moment to discuss um the fact that capitalism is, while not uniquely a uh, Marxist conception of free markets, it is very notably one. And those people who use the word capitalism, and then obviously we have Marx using capitalist uh, more often than capitalism, um, or really only capitalist and not capitalism, we can see that there is a conception from opponents of free markets, right? So right away, there should be some skepticism. This is a a word invented by people who did not like a an unregulated market for whatever the reasons, and we'll get into those. Um, as for the particular socialist or Marxist aspect, um, this is a what they call it a phenomenon. This is something where people will draw conceptual borders in arbitrary places. Uh, in this particular case, we have um, the acquisition of consumable goods, or what I think Marxists typically call personal property, versus private property, which is property that can be used to generate more property, essentially. This is a false distinction. It doesn't take very long to understand this, but there, there isn't any objective line that you can draw to distinguish one of these from the other. We'll get into that as we go on, but I wanted to to point that out. So the really the only difference between these two definitions is whether one um, arbitrarily makes a difference between personal and private property, as if they aren't the same thing, uh, and one that doesn't. Okay, so moving on. If the reader has scruples about either of these definitions... Good. Neither have any basis in reality, because neither possesses limiting principles which prevent their definitions from exploding. For those who are unfamiliar, philosophical explosion occurs when a definition incorporates too many concepts or elements to any longer serve its function. It explodes, in that sense, like an overinflated balloon. Most atrociously, this occurs when a definition incorporates its own opposite. Creating a term in contradiction with itself, negating itself, and imploding under its own weight. How is capital vulnerable to such explosion? Both definitions are built upon the concept of wealth. Whether wealth be defined only as money or by also including tangible goods of value, wealth is a weak point which itself is vulnerable to expansion, though perhaps not explosion and collapse. To reach this conclusion, all one must do is keep digging. The secret method of the self-deceiver is to stop his thoughts early, short and narrow vision. Um, the essay itself is going to do a good job at explaining uh, how wealth is this point at which uh, there's no reason to, to stop uh, with the conce- its conception where typically people stop it. Uh, but I want to talk a second about short and narrow vision. So This is um, something that in the past has, has continually driven me mad is when, and you see this more often than not, people have their own ideas, their own, let's say, axioms, their own principles, and they'll think them through until they arrive at what they believe is a conclusion and that they like, and then they stop right there. When in reality, there is no reason to stop there. Like, it's not a conclusion they've reached. It's merely, um, let's say, a uh, premise along a chain of premises that goes on and on and on until you hit, hit the bottom. But when you arrive at the conclusion that you want, well, why not just stop, right? Because then you don't have to reach any inevitable contradictions in your own thinking. That is short and narrow vision, people not thinking their own thoughts all the way through. And really, I think uh, wealth used in this sense is that, right? You might say, like, well, wealth to the layperson is money. Um, but, well, what is money? It, I know that people are going to say this isn't the right use of this, but I actually think it is. Um, It begs the question, well, what is money, right? Because to say it is money, I need to know what money is for me to know what wealth is. And, well, the essay covers it right here. But what is wealth really? If it is money, then that begs the question, what is money? Rather than appeal to some authority, it is more objective to observe the function of money, to understand what it is. Uh, I actually hold to this, that a lot of people were like, well, what's the, uh, the dictionary? say, so, well, the dictionary is going to have like seven definitions for every word, and um, they're going to be different enough that eventually they're going to contradict each other because the dictionary is a collection of how people use the word, not, let's say, a system of coherent definitions to maximize the utility of the language um, as a kind of, Uh, map or model by which we can communicate concepts. So it's not useful to go to an authority really for a definition. It's better to look at the function, what it does, because what it does is in a sense objective or as objective as we can get. So we'll observe. And it being money is a medium and means of tracking exchanges of value while simultaneously circumventing entropy, the fact that goods often perish over time. That is to say that money is not merely symbolic. We value it because of its function, a function predicated on the objective fact of our subjective valuation of perishable goods and services. That's probably going to lose a bunch of you, so I should explain it. Uh, Money essentially is an IOU right if you think about it um there is there are goods and services of value um originally it's a if i've got a chunk of gold something that has value that sustains its value because it's rather stable and rare so you can't just get a bunch of it um that means that if people value it which people tend to value gold it is not only a thing of value but a thing that will retain its value therefore it's consistent i take that to i don't know excuse me take it to a bank, um, and they give me uh, a note. It's basically an IOU. Now, Why would the bank do that well? Uh, maybe they pay you interest for all the wealth that you store with them, um, which lets them invest and then use that money to make more money. Uh, the Marxists have a big problem with that. But um, the point is that money is kind of like an IOU. That's the tracking of exchanges, right? If I give um, you know, someone... Uh, $20, and they, I don't know, uh, change my tire or something, um, then I have given them a note that says, like, this is worth the return of, you know, whatever $20 of services, which I clearly thought that um, the change of the tire was worth less than that, but they might think it was worth more. Thus, we do the exchange. Um, and the reason why we use, let's say, paper currency, uh, well... Paper currency used to be a reference to gold, which was that stable object I explained before. But the idea is that money doesn't perish. Like if I had to do all my exchanges and barter uh, and I had eggs, the eggs will spoil, uh, animals will die, uh, crops, uh, even if you can store them a little bit, will eventually perish. And they're hard to move around. It's it's a burden. So it ends up being a an exchange cost. So money is a medium that uh, functions to facilitate trade and track the value of trades, uh, essentially. That's where it's valued. People say, oh, money is just only as values as you believe it is. It's like, no, no, no. You're a biological being. You have uh, needs and desires. And those needs and desires are, um, let's say, a fact. So they might be subject to you as a subjective being, but the fact that you exist means that, objectively, there are things that are valued by you, and then, therefore, you um, If I can get something that uh, acts as a medium uh, of exchange of those things that you, in fact, value, then, well, that's where the value comes from. So, that's money. From the prior observation, it becomes apparent that the Marxist definition actually contains the common Western definition, if we are honest about uh, what money is and, therefore, what wealth is. And what are they both? Literally, anything of value which can be invested in to produce more value. And now the explosion becomes apparent. For there is no reason to stop at money, nor land, nor private property. The truth is that wealth as a concept runs all the way down to a person's body and mind. Examples are easy. If a man is a model or an athlete, then his body is his means of making a profit. Any money or bodily effort spent investing in his health and physique are reinvestments in his means of generating further wealth, or reinvestments in his capital. The same could be said of an author or professor when he spends money or time on books or journal subscriptions to further his edu- education. He is increasing his mind's ability to be Uh, used to generate income for himself. His mind is his own capital. Even something as intangible as reputation functions in this way. Investment in one's reputation can and often is investment in one's ability to generate more wealth for oneself, even if that isn't the person's primary interest. Okay, so as you can see, uh, the concept of capital is now exploded because the concept of wealth has exploded, um, and the the reason why is there's no reason to stop merely at money. Money is a representation of a bunch of other things that might be exchanged, including um, let's say uh, labor. Which means that now we've once we hit labor, we run down to the the person's body and mind. Um, so therefore, there's no reason to draw a distinction unless you just want to just because, right? Like, okay, well, that person might own a factory, but you own your body, you own uh, your your mind, the knowledge that you have is yours in the same way that that factory is theirs. Now, what's worth more? Well, that depends, but then uh, it's going to change based on the, the person, the situation, the, the, you know, the era, the other uh, people around. There's all kinds of variables, and we'll get into that uh, in a little bit, but the point is that the root of capitalism, capital, is a bunk concept. It doesn't actually uh, refer to anything because it refers to everything. And we'll see that here in a moment. So the fallacy of false systems. Isms are, more often than not, towers of Babel. They are imagined constructs with no grounding in reality, no basis, nothing real beyond our subjective preconceptions such is the case with capitalism. As a cursory investigation reveals, all from the comfort of an armchair, capital refers to literally anything which can be used to produce profit from the person or group investing it. Sorry, for the person or group investing it. That means that anything and everything can be or is already capital. The definition includes so many concepts that it doesn't point to any one thing in particular that makes it useless and therefore defunct, right? Devoid of function. So what is being referred to when one utters the word capitalism? No system, surely, for no society nor social structure is necessary for a hunter to invest his time and energy crafting a spear or bow. What is being referred to, then, is something which applies to even, uh, sorry, applies to man even in the liberal enlightenment's false historical conception of the state of nature and that is mankind's innate ability to dispose with his mind and labor as his volition wishes, so long as this does not violate uh, the volition of another man. So if you saw my last essay, um, there's no such thing as civil rights, then that'll make sense. So the state of nature and the enlightenment, uh, there's this idea that mankind, there's a pre-social mankind where um, men were just kind of out by themselves in nature before they came together to, uh, create the first societies and therefore the first governments that never happened. Um, even pre-human evolutionarily, we were, uh, in societies, uh, small tribe like familial and tribal groups. So that's, that's why I call it a, uh, false historical conception. However, even in that case, um, What capitalism is trying, the the concept of capitalism is trying to encapsulate would include that. There's no reason not to. Um, So, what we're talking about, therefore, is not a system, right? It's not a social construction. It is a uh, pre social construction. It is, uh, you could say it's emergent because you need like some type of being in order to participate in this. But aside from that, um, it, it works. So, you know, when they say, well, this capitalist system. It's like, there is no such thing as a capitalist system. It doesn't exist, right? It's, it's, it's word wizardry. It's bullshit, okay? So this makes capitalism synonymous with any manifestation of a free market, that being any collection of trading or exchanging between individuals or groups in which their natural rights are not infringed. That is to say that when there is no system of violence or coercion, When men come together and abide by the laws of nature and reason, a market is free. People are able to buy and sell property or labor, a product of self-ownership, with either the desire to indulge in consumable luxury goods or to directly reinvest to achieve greater monetary profits. Though, remembering our athlete, it can be said that the line between reinvestment and consumption is tenuous at best. Okay, so... This is where the lie comes in. So they say, oh this capitalist system it's uh oppressive something like that, right? Or like, oh when you see someone doing something uh flagrantly let's say greedy and uh exploitative in the real sense where they're actually taking advantage of someone to that other person's detriment. And then they say, well that's capitalism. What they're doing is they're caricaturizing, right? They're characterizing um a let's say what I would describe as a kind of crony situation, as if it was a free market. And that, and they're describing, or rather ascribing, systematic oppressive elements to something that by definition does not have a system imposed onto it. And why is there no system imposed onto it? Well, um, as we saw with Locke, the, let's say, laws of nature and reason are things that are intrinsic to man. Man can just do these things. Um, you don't need any top-down interference for this to work, right? It is, uh, now, it doesn't mean that it just happens, right? Obviously, um, human beings are also capable of violence and coercion, and they do that to one another. But it is within let's say man's natural right to be um let's say master of himself in a sense um and therefore to exchange aspects of that self let's say the products of his labor uh his services any goods that he manages to acquire with others um as he sees fit and that that alone creates the free market there's no again there's no system necessary there either man uh does this or he devolves into um let's say a kind of state of war uh or we impose a top-down system of violence and coercion via the state so it's it's either authoritarian or libertarian like that's those are your two uh two sides so we see the words capitalism and capital add nothing to the conversation they are not tools of the honest man, but are instead levers for those who require leverage to make themselves equal in power to those who are more competent than themselves. They are hexes and curses as part of the word sorcerer's arsenal to bewitch the babble mooks into gibbering noises which imbue them with a sense of virtue. Capitalism is, in truth, a pejorative which lies about the nature of free markets. When uttered, the charlatan relies on the listener's assumption that the participants in the market are not trading of their own volition. The liar requires those listening to assume cronyism and exploitation, the former's presence disqualifying a market from being free, and the latter conception being both ill-defined and misplaced. Right. So essentially the this is the word sorcerer, or more often than not, someone who doesn't know what they're doing. They want to feel virtuous, so they just kind of repeat the noises like a parrot, uh, the babble mook, right? Is let's say framing again, if it's a babble mook unconsciously, framing uh let's say usually what it is is something that isn't a free market. Describing it as a free market by ascribing capitalism to both, and then uh, just then slamming, let's say, you know, perhaps rightly something that is is actually exploitative in a way that it characterizes things that are diametrically opposed. Right? It's it's a way of um, poisoning the well by continuous association using a label to encapsulate two things that are actually opposites of one another. Uh, A bit about exploitation, too, because that word comes up quite a lot in um, socialist and Marxist and communist literature, and uh, it needs to be addressed. So, a necessary side on exploitation. The word evokes in the common man images of con men, liars, and cheats. But the word sorcerer will include any unbalanced power relation in any trade. A presumption here is made that power equity is possible. It's not. Any interaction will include numerous uneven variables, the significance of which are inconsistent and incalculable. E.g., a boss might hold the power to fire an employee but the employee likewise has power to quit, the power to convince others to go on strike, the ability to besmirch his employer's reputation, the ability to start up a competitive enterprise, the ability to relocate and copy his employer's business model, the ability to become an indispensable contributor to the business model and thereby demand increased wages or responsibility, etc. Which party has more or less power depends on the situation, which is Constantly changing, and at least slightly different in each case. There are no firm grounds to describe power imbalance as exploitative unless one introduces violations of one party's natural rights. Any other reasoning misplaces the blame, even in such cases as starvation and health care. For food and medicine are not rights given to man by his nature, their acquisitions, contingencies, and necessities of life but they are not rights, okay? So that's super important to point out. Uh, if you have this idea in your head that man has a right to stuff, um, you don't know what rights are, and you're probably operating under the misnomer of civil rights. But civil rights aren't rights. It's Civil rights is merely a description of um, things that have been guaranteed to you. But the reality is, objectively, you're not guaranteed medicine. If you were born a couple thousand years ago, Like you don't have a right to medicine because it doesn't exist. Like the people, at least modern medicine, didn't exist. If you are born uh, to like a desert tribe on the verge of starvation and there just literally is no food anywhere around for anyone to get anywhere. Like it's impossible. You can say, well, I have a human right to food. And it's like, well, under civil rights, you can say that, but you're wrong because you don't have it because it's a guarantee by an authority. And it's clearly not a natural right because nature doesn't just, you know, make you born with food is the thing that you have to go get. You have to use your natural rights. That's that self-ownership and go out and obtain those things. Um, maybe there are necessities to live, but you don't have a right to live, right? Because you you're going to die. And you might die because of disease. You might die of exposure, of starvation, um, of violence. And if it's the case of violence, if, if a man assaults you and kills you, um, he has violated your natural rights because he's violated your, uh, say, right to property. In the same way that you can protect yourself, I don't know if you're attacked by a lion or something out in the savanna, but I don't even know if there are lions on the savanna. Probably not. Uh, it's a freaking desert. The point being that. It's not exploitation unless someone is violating those rights. If someone has you chained to a uh, a table and won't let you leave, like if it's like China and the factories and under coercion of the state you're forced to work 16 hours a day where they put nets up so you can't jump off the roof of the building and kill yourself, okay, that's exploitation. That's absolutely exploitation, right? If you are, um, I don't know, Captured and forced into labor camps, yes, absolutely, that's exploitation. If someone comes and then, um, let's say, steals the water uh, supply away from you, so you had you had the water, um, and then they came and then just made sure that you couldn't get any, so you're going to die of of thirst. Then yeah, they stole something. You see, they have to steal something from you first that you have a. Um, Let's say, have a right to, and then once they've done that, and then they can exploit you, that's what exploitation is. um It's not an imbalance of power, there's always an imbalance of power, it's always fluctuating, and that's and so therefore it's Foucaultian nonsense to say, "Oh, look, there's an imbalance of power in all these social relations, uh therefore, it's unjust, it's like no because there's no such thing as a balance of power. There's literally no such thing. it never happens. I've been ranting about this for too long, so In conclusion, redundancy or deception, mooks or charlatans. In most cases, the misnomer capitalism is a noise grunted by members of the herd who like to hear themselves mimicking the noises of those occupying positions of institutional prestige. It is a signal of team membership and or a pretense of comprehension or both. In other cases, the use of the word capitalism is the deliberate manipulation of language by latent tyrants who wish to disguise their impotent authoritarian impulse even from themselves. Amongst uh, pseudo-intellectuals and academics, I find this to be most often the case. They, um, uh, they have a desire to bend the world to their will because they think their theoretical model in their head is correct and that the world is wrong and that they understand the world well enough that if they were the dictator, if they were the person making the decisions, everything would work. Right? That is the latent tyrant. If they if they only had power, their corruption would be revealed. They're already corrupt and they want to disguise that authoritarian impulse in themselves because they they themselves often ascribe to philosophies that would make such an authoritarian impulse immoral. So they are, let's say, the very immoral authoritarian dictators which they would despise, but they can't see it because they've pushed it all down into their shadow and then identify with a persona, a mask by which they can feel virtuous. And then they uh, and how do they do that? Well, they identify a caricatured enemy and then attack that, right? They attack the straw man so that they themselves feel powerful. Look how much I can beat up this straw man. Yes, that is the word sorcerer. That is the pseudo-intellectual and academic charlatan. Of course, and as mentioned, the word has been embraced as synonymous with free marketeer. Uh, in that sense, capitalism has been reclaimed. I think, like um, what I'm most familiar with, like anarcho-capitalism, right? So, um, anarcho-capitalists are like the hardest, coreist libertarians. They're the opposite of uh, anarcho-communisms, in in a sense, or anarcho-communists, in a sense. Um. And they use the word capitalism to refer to free market as I described a free market actually being. Um, So, And then libertarians will use capitalism all the time. You hear lots of um, people use it in a positive light. They describe themselves as capitalists. Though its reclamation does not uh, undo its power over a population of MOOCs it would be best for the word to fall out of favor across the English-speaking world. However, it is unlikely that is going to happen. The best that can be hoped for is that those litter enough to read this essay take note when the word rears its ugly head, that they know to look out for imminent babble or else the subtle deceptions of a real-world word-sorcerer. And that's really what I want um, you guys to take away from this episode, is uh, be on the lookout when people use this word, capitalism. Chances are they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Chances are they are uh, committing a number of atrocious fallacies unwittingly. And really, I guess the best you could hope for is to identify, oh, okay, this person's a mook. They're babbling. Now, That doesn't mean to stop listening, but what it does mean is to recognize that the uh, thoughts in this person's head are, uh, um, it's gray think, it's gobbledygook. This person is dreaming. They're not thinking. They don't know how to think yet. They may never know how to think, Um, and they're operating based on what makes them feel good in the moment. By the way, that means they're probably assuming uh, unconsciously that you're doing the same thing So there's no such thing as right and wrong in this person's head. Objectivity is now dissolved in the subjectivity. I could do a whole podcast on that. Uh, The point being, notice, pay attention, and remember that there is no such thing as capitalism because there's no such thing as capital. Because capital, if we look at the definition, refers back to wealth. Wealth being uh, not clearly able to be delineated between any particular object of value so, therefore, wealth explodes, because wealth explodes, capital explodes, and that's the whole tree trunk for the branches that uh, you know, capitalism sprouts out of as a concept. It doesn't exist. Thank you, friends.